It's time to join Montana's very own and your voice for agriculture, Talking Ag Lane Nordland, for today's LaneCast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to more agriculture conversations here on the LaneCast Ag Podcast. And today we're going to be talking about carbon credits. Of course, carbon credits are a very big topic of conversation for farmers and ranchers. But many are still asking, what exactly are carbon credits? Who owns them? Is it safe? Again, very legitimate questions. It's a very confusing topic. And recently, I attended the National Red Angus Convention in Denver, Colorado, and I caught up with agricultural economist Dr. Jordan Shockley from the University of Kentucky. And for the past several years, he has researched carbon credits, the carbon market, and he's going to be sharing what farmers and ranchers need to consider when looking at the carbon market. Is it right for you? Are you better to stay out of the market? What are the pros and cons? As I walked away from our conversation, I understood that it's essential for farmers and ranchers to approach the carbon market and carbon contracts with extreme caution and thorough consideration. We'll have our full conversation here with Dr. Jordan Shockley on carbon credits right after these words. Are you concerned about the impact government policies could have on your cattle business? One way to make your voice heard in Washington is by joining NCBA. When you join, you'll be part of the nation's oldest and largest national cattle industry organization that has a professional team working in Washington, D.C. on issues that matter to cattle producing families nationwide. Don't stay on the sidelines. Make your voice heard by joining NCBA today at the website ncba.org. Well, carbon credits, that was a big discussion at this year's Commercial Cattlemen's Symposium taking place during the Red Angus Association of America's National Convention. And Dr. Jordan Shockley from the University of Kentucky was one of the presenters during the symposium talking about carbon credits. And uh, uh, Dr. Shockley, thanks for joining us here today. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, one of those questions that a lot of people may be asking is, we've heard about carbon credits, but what exactly are carbon credits and how are they out on my operation? What are they? And uh, let's just let you share more about that. Absolutely. So technically, right, a carbon credit is actually one metric ton of what we call CO2 equivalent, right? So that can be generated on your ranch, your farm, row crop operations, um, what have you, in the agricultural space by adopting new practices. And so you can adopt maybe something like regenerative grazing practices and generate a carbon credit or numerous carbon credits on your operation and then be able to cash in on these um, through some of the carbon programs that are out there. So in, in basic principles, it's a carbon credit and it's one metric ton of CO2 equivalents that's generated by various practices that you can adopt on your farm. So how do you go out and measure that one ton. I, that, that may be a question that so many of us, including myself, just need to understand a little more in trying to paint that picture of what carbon, what the carbon market will look like. Absolutely. So the extension answer in me is it depends, right? Every company goes about it differently. Um, a lot of them right now use models and will put information on your farm, your practices to basically estimate what would happen. Now, those models are only as accurate as the information being provided. And even in other instances, there are models that have been wrong and overestimated and overpaid. And so 
proceed with caution on how that's measured um, because, and ask those questions if you're a producer, how will you be measuring this carbon that's sequestered and so and generating those carbon credits because each company does it completely differently. So obviously we have heard about being able to use that for sustainable agriculture through uh, utilizing carbon credits that way and being paid for that regenerative agricultural practice. But we've also heard about how companies are going out and buying those carbon credits to offset their carbon footprint. So uh, those are two, you know, situations that a producer would have to weigh, but I guess, what are the benefits other, you know, obviously you're going to be making some money, but uh, what, what is the benefit of that when you're looking at making more money as a producer, but what are some of the, the pros and cons that come along with that conversation? Yeah. So in general, there's two kind of approaches being pursued in the carbon market space, right? You mentioned the first one, maybe going directly in the supply chain of beef, right? And working with a Tyson or some other company that has an internal based program and those are called insets, right? You're working inside the supply chain to then sell your carbon credits. Then there's other programs out there that are actively recruiting farmers and ranchers to sign up that are what we call the offset market. So they are working with farmers and ranchers, signing, getting them to sign contracts, selling them in a third party system or putting them on a third party verification system where someone maybe not in the agricultural space can come and buy those credits off of those verified platforms. So there's two types. Each one of them is different. I think one of the benefits um, with working with a company inside the supply chain is they understand production agriculture. They understand where their food comes from, how it's produced and the limitations that can come with implementing some of these regenerative practices, because it's not gonna work, right? And so um, it, understanding that, understanding what happens if you have a drought, right? And you can't sequester as much carbon as you thought you were going to be able to, and being flexible and the understanding that situation, I think it is critical with keeping these carbon markets and carbon programs intact. Um, now, with that, those carb, those companies inside the supply chain, they're keeping it for their own internal uses. They're not turning around and selling them typically into other companies that aren't on the supply chain. So you kind of got this know where your food comes from standpoint traceability within the beef supply chain. Now, it just sounds a lot like mineral rights almost to me too. And I wouldn't do anything in mineral rights or buying land without mineral rights, without having a legal team employees doing a lot of knowledge. So in your work in extension, I guess, what, what are you recommending for producers out there that are getting approached uh, by companies that want to buy their carbon credits or they're exploring some of these regenerative agricultural uh, uh, opportunities for marketing beef differently? I, I guess, what what is that advice you have for it, producers? Absolutely. I mean, I'm an economist, right? So it under, first it starts out with understanding your cost of production, right? Understand your baseline and then what additional costs it's going to take to implement these practices that you're gonna get paid for. Right now, a general claim, doesn't matter if you're a livestock producer or in the grain row crop space grades, these programs don't, do not typically cover all of the direct costs of implementing the practices that you're signing up for, okay? So 
how, how much, right? How much, because it's going to come into your bottom line. Okay. And so are, is your opportunity to get a premium in some way, shape or form and above to cover those costs? So that's number one. Number two, these contracts, they can be very confusing. And so hiring a legal specialist to review these contracts before you even sign. I mean, understanding that usually these payments are in dollars per metric ton of CO2 and not dollars per acre or dollars per head or dollar per hunter weight that we're used to dealing with. So understanding the components of that within the contract it, it is critical and read that fine print because the devil is in the details of these these carving contracts and so um yeah it's uh it can get it can get hairy because each one of them is different each one of these carving companies is completely different in what they're offering well and i've heard a lot of discussion with producers that have been implementing regenerative or sustainable agricultural practice for quite some time that they're already doing yep. some of the practices that these carbon markets are requiring but they're not possibly getting credit absolutely because correct. it's already they're they're not implementing it under their terms so that that could be pretty prohibitive when we're looking at that and frustrating along the way too one of the it's called additionality right this is the key concept with these carbon markets they want they mean the carbon programs want you to do something different right a, to a, to sequester additional carbon well if you've been doing those programs for years and years and years for the most part, you're not eligible to enroll in those programs. So that's brought a lot of frustration. Again, I speak to a lot of farmers and ranchers across the U.S., and that's one of their number one concerns is, why am I getting penalized for not, for doing the right things for years, and you're paying people that may have not been doing what they consider sustainable climate smart practices. And so to me, that has to change. I mean, you have to incentivize those early adopters to continue to do what they've been doing, right? And we see evidence of that in the forest carbon market programs, right? That are out there where they're paying landowners, landowners to not harvest, right? Well, why don't we do the same thing in the ag space? You know, you know, on the row crop side of things, right? Not till, you've been doing no-till. Kentucky's the home of no-till production agriculture, right? Why don't you pay producers that have been doing it for 40, 50 years? It makes no sense to me. And I think that's one of the issues in moving um, these carbon programs forward is you're alienating a large, large group of people. Now, I understand that uh, a lot of these uh, carbon credits in the car carbon market, uh, they are different programs depending on who you work with. But is this in perpetuity? Is this a one-year contract? Or are you giving away those rights, say, like we were talking about mineral rights? Um, I, I guess, how does that look? Because I, I know that's a question a lot of people are asking is, is this a one-time deal? Is it a, a lifetime deal? Uh, that, that, uh, I'm it, confused on yeah, that. Yeah, it, it depends. It depends on the company, right? Um, some of them are one-year deals. Some of them range to 30. Some of them are up to 100-year contracts. So understanding the time commitment uh, that you have, it, it all depends. And, and what one of the biggest questions also is not even the time commitment. What is regenerative agriculture? What is rotational grazing, regenerative grazing? Are they all the same? I don't know. You know, when one carbon company says, okay, we want you to implement rotational grazing. Another car carbon company says, I want you to implement, you know, climate smart agriculture practices. What is that? And that's the issue in the livestock space right now 
is it's very holistic and not very prescriptive about what exactly you have to do to satisfy those contracts. And we all know there's always a new buzzword in agriculture. <laughs> Sustainable agriculture was the big one for, for many years, and now regenerative agriculture is that buzzword. I guess that is a cause for concern is what what, what is the definition going to be in two or three years? And should producers maybe hold back a little bit and watch how this actually develops? Or are the guys that are adopting it now going to be more successful because of that and be able to stay in business and expand? I know you probably don't have an answer for that, but it's a, it's an interesting question maybe. All the, I'll say, majority of the producers I, I speak to, they are in a wait and see pattern um, and how this shakes out because there are conditions and things that are going on in the supply chain with companies um, that could shake things up quite a bit. And, uh, and maybe eventually these third party entities uh, may not exist anymore. They may go bankrupt. Uh, and not all of these carbon companies are now are gonna survive. So what happens if you enroll in the wrong one? Right, and if you roll in one program, you can't double dip in another one. And so I think a lot of producers, and I think rightfully so, because there's a lot of risk and the payment levels are not there yet. Because all of this is driven by corporate claims of wanting to be a greenhouse gas neutral by a certain time in the future, right? And those time frames are typically 2030, 2040, 2050, right? Well, why would they pay all this money now for a carbon credit when they've got time to figure this out themselves. And so I anticipate if these carbon markets are still around that the prices will be higher. And so is there, an, is there a price adjustment in those contracts for being an early adopter? And you know, that's what we're seeing. So a lot of the studies, less than half a percent of people are even enrolled in carbon contracts or even thinking about carbon contracts. So um, they're here, there's a lot of noise, a lot of confusion. Um, but a lot of risk. My, my last uh, area of question, in, 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 as you have studied this and talked about this, how much of an impact up to this point have consumer preferences had on the creation of these, especially in that uh, regenerative beef end of things? Absolutely, so it's driven by consumers too. Um, that's the other part. So you've got the corporate claims and you've got consumers and they want, sustainable practices, right? They, they, we saw a presentation earlier this morning on that. However, there is no evidence that I've seen, no research, that they're willing to pay more for that ribeye that's produced regeneratively, okay? And so, as an economist, that's one a big question, okay? If they're not willing to pay more for that product, who along the beef supply chain bears the cost of those farmers implementing those practices? My guess is the cow-calf producer, but... Uh, yeah, well, uh, well, my Kentucky <laughs> folks don't like to hear that. Right, so. <laughs> well, again... But you're right. Yeah, Very complex, mm -hmm. and there's pros and cons with this, and obviously your message is do your research. Yep. Absolutely. Work with a legal team, and uh, again, know what you're get, getting yourself into, because this is a brave new world, is. if we want to describe it that way. It is, absolutely. Well, again, Dr. Jordan Shockley with the University of Kentucky joining us here.
Something to think about, friends, when looking at the carbon market. I really appreciate Dr. Jordan Shockley for sharing his expertise and cautioning producers about the carbon market itself. Again, if it's for you, it's for you. If it's not, it's not. But I just wanted to share this information with you here today on the Lancast Ag Podcast. With that, friends, I'm Lane Nordlund. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the LaneCast with Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland. For more on Lane, check out his Facebook page, Lane Nordland Ag Broadcaster and NordlandCommunications.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the LaneCast on your Apple or Android devices. We look forward to joining you next time on the LaneCast.